Hello, and welcome to Dublux Presents. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with my good friend, Alex. Hi, Alex. Hi, Jacob. So here we are in the fourth week of the COVID pandemic um, in 2020, and I wanted to in this series kind of talk to some of my friends about their personal experiences not directly related to covid but just to record some conversations worth sharing about personal experiences and how behind the mask of the everyday person who you see is a wealth of knowledge um and how everyone is fighting a battle and everyone goes through things and we don't see it, you know, when we see them in the supermarket and we don't see that. So we don't see it if they like cut us off on the highway. You ever, you ever get that feeling that like other people have more than meets the eye to them? Cause I didn't always think that. Uh, only, only as of the last couple of years. So I would say uh, probably about five years ago, I started to finally realize that like I was not the only one that that either had stuff going on or felt as though I did. Um, and then actually things happened to where I did have stuff going on. <laughs> and uh, it made it much clearer because I do my best to make uh, make it look like to the person at the supermarket that like I'm fine, you know, because to me, it seems like, why would they care anyway? And it's really none of their business when you get down to it. Do you think we try to, so it's, is it a combination, right? Because on the one hand, we want to spare other p people the burden of knowing your burden. Is there something like that where there's this shared, um, you know, when I, when I tell you something that I'm going through, suddenly that could, you know, like mess up your day or something well absolutely and and not that um so i have this strange uh wall in between me and like other humans where i'm uh typically shut off and i man i don't really care um i just don't because i i, I really uh, prescribe to the thought that you know my day is up to me how this turns out is up to me so when, when I burden some other person that isn't personally close to me with like some weird stuff that's going on in my brain, I don't think that that's reasonable. I think that in human to human contact, unless you're in a close personal relationship, it, it should be smiles and not at this point hugs preferably, you know, but someday we'll get to hug each other again. <laughs> um, so yes, absolutely. I don't want to burden other people with what my mind tells me is wrong. I remember that that concept was a bit of an epiphany for me personally. Um, growing up in Poland <laughs> to the age of six, it wasn't until much later that I realized that there's no Polish word for boundaries in the same way that, you know, like we have them in English. Um, do you think that's maybe like, an outcome of your upbringing or like if you go way back in time did you always just kind of know like some things are not somebody else's business 
and like it's 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 a better way to be is that something that was like a family value for you a hundred percent and it still is with my parents as of two weeks ago or last week um and it's been confirmed as they get older it seems like they're more sad and they're more angry so there's less conversation um now my brother's not around there's there's no one else to talk to you know what i mean um but as as a kid as i was growing up there was nothing but boundaries and there still is there's things like i'm 38 years old i can't tell my parents um about my sex life i like because they don't want to know they almost pretend still that that's something that doesn't exist um so yes boundaries have been set since i was a young young child <laughs> do you think so so my my hope for the generation right that's like coming up nowadays and and maybe if there's anything that i'll give our you know like demographic or like age group the guys right before the millennials credit for it's that we have in many ways destigmatized mental health as like a peer discussion topic right where you've got you know our parents parents who just didn't have feelings apparently um and then you know our parents generation who where everybody went to therapy uh in, in a certain you know <laughs> if you could afford it um but it was very much a personal thing and even even in like you know primary relationships you might go years without talking to your partner about something that that was on your mind or that you might share only with your therapist and i feel like i can't open instagram without seeing like somebody's medical history and there's a part of me that does like you said feel burdened by it but on the other hand i think that we've done a lot to destigmatize that topic and then allow some kind of like crowdsourcing to occur for healing and and again just destigmatization right addiction being i think like the biggest one depression close second yeah well and sexuality i mean where do you where do you put that third because that's got to be up there too wow um oh you nailed absolutely. it okay yeah close running <laughs> no i mean i mean it's just amazing to see what happened in a couple of generations of people realizing that like who you fuck is your business and it's none of mine. Um, and, and I didn't, man, um, I had a conversation with someone close to me about, uh, mayor Pete Buttigieg as he was running for the, uh, 2020 democratic nod. And, and it was the first time in my life that I found out this person I know for a long time had no interest in, in gay males. Now it seemed pretty clear to me that he didn't care about females um, but he clearly cared who people to chat sex with. And so I asked him directly and I said, you know, that's what we're talking about. Right. And he was like, Rah. you know, he, it was angry. And then as we are more exposed to it and see it, and it's just a natural reaction. People like who they like, they always have, they always will. Um, Hopefully we're moving away from the Puritan start of America so that we can just let people be who they are and do what the fuck they want to do. I remember, you know, growing up and even into early adulthood, having my trusted peer group that knew a lot about me. Um, 
and and a couple like inner circle people who knew almost everything and then obviously my own skeletons in my closet and but i also felt like there was a sort of like intellectual like desert outside of you know my little circle of friends like we're the only ones who think about these sorts of things or talk about these sorts of things and it wasn't until i discovered podcasts that i realized that like many of the supposedly highbrow conversations that i was having were really just in par- were happening in parallel all around the country right like i tuned into rogan and uh and one of his guests was you know graham hancock whose book i had read at 19 and i was the only one who'd read that book um or knew anything about it right in, in, my, in my whole circle of people and come to find out that of course like oh this dude's like recognized and he's at, you know at the center of this whole movement of um alternative archaeology or you know however you want to whatever label you want to throw at him it's kind of not important so like i wonder whether you would agree that podcasts have a role in opening up these kinds of doors where we can expand the conversation right like this is such an intimate format and yet we're presenting it to a wider audience um, if not to fulfill their voyeuristic tendencies, at least to expand their horizons and share something worth sharing. Right. Well, we all tend to listen to podcasts that we agree with. So um, knowing that I'm on the other end of yours obviously means that it's immediately not highbrow. Um, I'm sitting in my 900 square foot condo in which I work out of because we're not supposed to leave the house. <laughs> so um, what I really do hope for is that if anything, even if someone was to skip through and listen to five minutes of the thing, uh, that they might start a conversation with their close friends. Because um, the more social media driven our society becomes, the the more likes that we hit, the more hearts that we see, uh, the more endorphins that pump through my body when I see that notification come up on my phone, just like it was designed to do. Um, the less conversations that we have, the less long format conversations where you and I find out what we actually think about stuff. Um, and while there might not be a whole lot of people out there that really care what uh, Alex thinks about stuff, um, maybe there is. And, and maybe they listen to this and, and, and go start a conversation with their partner, their friend, or, you know, I, I know with this COVID thing, I've been reaching out to people a lot. I, specifically use video calls, which like, I don't know if you're trying to call people on video that you haven't before, but they don't typically answer. And so, I, so I've just been repeatedly calling them. Um, thank goodness for, you know, Instagram and WhatsApp because I can call my family all over the country and all over the world um, and see what they look like, even though I've been home for four weeks. So, so really this is, this is something that saves me always has and is currently more important than anything did you do you remember the first like podcast that grabbed you well so um my ex-girlfriend had started listening to armchair experts and uh he had sam harris on so she had me listen to uh, initially, you know those two girls that discuss murders? 
what is that one called? It's really popular. Uh, I, I don't know, but my partner listens to it. <laughs> it used to be really good, but it's very commercial now and you get very limited stories. Um, but that was the first podcast I listened to. I uh, was in her car uh, about a murderer on the way to go see her sister. And uh, I really liked it. And then she played that armchair experts episode for me with Sam Harris. Uh, I was almost immediately hooked on Sam Harris, and I, I don't think I really listened to anything else for over a year. Um, I, I dived as deep as I could into his library until it was kind of shortened on Spotify. And at this point, I haven't really been listening too much lately. I feel like Sam has the sickest burns like that I've ever heard amazing. where he's so amazing because he's never obtuse about it. He's never terribly forward about it too. <laughs> no, he just, he just in the most polite and professionally uh, appropriate way, just tells you that you shouldn't belong on earth. Ever, right. Ever this is something like again. that. Don't ever say anything again. You're too <laughs> stupid. And it's amazing because he's right. There's a there's a subreddit called uh, Murder by Words, I think, and it's or or yeah, I think it's called Murder by Words, where where it's just people's comebacks and responses to you know whatever tweets or just things that people come out and say, um, and those are mildly satisfying. But but by comparison, you know, Harris is this you know uh, laser guided munition. I, I I like it. I like it and I've liked it. And but I did find a limit where I had sort of taken what I needed, right? And I think this is true of relationships and of life in general, right? Is that like take what you need, like leave the rest. I think that's good advice. I it, it depends on the context, but in general, yes. The older I get, the more I just want to leave stuff. Whereas, <laughs> like, mm, I don't see a whole lot of stuff I want to take anymore. Um, these these humans that I run into, uh, that it, it, if if it's something they want to give as much as I want to receive them, that's cool. And and if it's something that I want to take from them, I need to like look at that and say, hey, dude. <laughs> What, what are you going to rob them? I mean, I'm a gun owner. It's cool. We could take the AK. It's fine. Um, do but you, I prefer you, not to. <laughs> did you find that your openness to new ideas changed in the course of your life, right? Like, I feel like there was a time when I was just a sponge open to everything. Then I became closed off to everything. And then I became open again. And I feel like there's this level of openness at any given time. It's like my coefficient to be ready to digest someone else's ideas, right? And actually make some changes. And I feel like that ebbs and wanes or like ebbs and flows, yeah. whatever the appropriate term is. That, that's it. That's it. Am I, am I already hoping you ask me a question and formulating my response based on my outline? Or am I listening to what you just asked me and, and, and responding accordingly? Um, I think that is a, a human condition in which I'm just hoping to steer the conversation with most people I speak to about where I want it to go. 
um, the more open I get, the more I'm just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm only really interested in this conversation if it's two sided. Like, I already know what my dumb head thinks. So, like, that's not important. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, they, it, over and over again, it has changed um, to where I don't, maybe not over and over again. Maybe I was closed off from the beginning and I didn't open up until a year ago. I don't know. Um, that that that's a good question, but I know at this point that all that matters is all the introspection that I've done and all the silly writings I've done or ha- have ended up me being able to be home alone for a month already and have another month, month and a half to go and really have done nothing but, you know, watch calories and, and walk my dog. So mm. that's, uh, that's impressive for a person that comes from my, you know, what I used to act like. You know, I met you at a, at a challenging and transformative part of both of our lives. And we've been through a lot together, um, personally and, and going through relationships and things like that. But, you know, if I had to think about a person who had the most challenging year in 2019 of all the people that I know, I think you had the most challenging year. And, um, and one of the reasons that I asked you on the podcast was to see if you would be willing to share with us, you know, what happened to you in 2019, um, and maybe even late 2018 and, and then unpack some of those things, right? Um, it's been a wild ride. I would say since i mean a whole lot of stuff's gone crazy since 2013 so we'll start right then it's super easy uh i i uh did a lot of drugs when i was younger i'm not going to name them um but in 2013 i stopped um and and i was sober 100 percent from drugs and alcohol for about five and a half years now in 2016 which was in that time on thanksgiving uh, actually, the day before Thanksgiving, I, I woke up dizzy. I couldn't play football with my friends like I always did on Thanksgiving of 2016. So the next Monday, I went to the doctor. Within about a week or 10 days, I was diagnosed with MS. Um, and, and ever since the day before Thanksgiving 2016, I've been dizzy. Um, dizzy. So I want to pause the there. Yeah. So what, what is MS for, for those who might not know? Oh, okay. Sorry, I so, know it's a basic question. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, no, that makes sense because I people kind of look at me like they don't know what it is. So MS is multiple sclerosis. It's not, a, it, it's not real common. From what I know, about 400,000 people in America have it right now. Um, and they've made huge steps in treatment for this disease. 15 years ago, it was a wheelchair sentence. Um, and likely death sentence in the future. Um, now it's not. So multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disorder in which my uh, immune system will eat the sheathing around the nerve cells. So it's called a myelin sheath. Nobody kn- knows why the, ner- the white blood cells decide to attack it. But when they do, they eat holes in the sheath and then the nerve misfires. It doesn't really know what to do. 
So as soon as the nerve starts misfiring, then you know, because you get some weird symptom. And the thing is, they can't predict this disease because um, they have no idea which nerve cell it's going to hit. So it can hit anything in your brain or your spine. Um, you typically find out after the attack happens, the only recourse is to hit you with a huge dose of steroids to stop the attack. Um, now, like I was saying, um, they have come out with new drugs in the last five to 10 years, and it really is not that big of a deal anymore if they're not lying to me. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> at, at this point, it's been, <laughs> you know, it's been three and a half years. I haven't had a relapse. So I, that's a good thing. And as far as I know, I, I'm in, in regular, t- I have a neurologist. I get regular MRIs, I get regular blood tests, and I get regular infusions of that's right, folks. Immunosuppressants during COVID-19. It's super exciting um, because that's the only way to control the disease. But then, so that's MS, multiple sclerosis. Okay. Um, so I got that, right? And then I was like, okay, uh, life's life and sometimes shit's hard. Um, and on, on Thanksgiving of 2018, that's right. Two years later, almost to the day, uh, my brother overdosed on fentanyl. Um, and <clears throat> he was my best friend. Um, he had been my best friend for a long time. Uh, and with my history of drug use and, and knowing what it took to stop doing drugs, um, uh, I, I fell real short in what I did for my brother, um, but but it doesn't change the fact that he passed away. So there, end of November, beginning of December, um, it, that went on. Um, now I have, you know, it's just my parents, myself, and him. And so now it's just me and my parents. And uh, about... Ooh, when was that? So about six months later, some months later, um, the, the girl that I, that I have been dating for four years, um, and I decided that we weren't going to continue to pursue a relationship. And, um, she ended up moving out of my house and it's been eight months since then in COVID. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's been a really, really interesting year you know one of the things that brought us together when we first met um was our sort of jaded and cynical armor right um haters anonymous we we were gonna yeah yeah we were gonna start a fellowship called haters anonymous and, and and the steps were all about just you know uh just putting everybody else down right and that was sort of our inside joke we're gonna be the founding members of this organization and um and and i think you know one of the things that i've always admired about you is your ability to have a sense of humor right and you're just like man it's going to be half you know yeah i talked to you before we were going to get on on this uh podcast and you said all right man i'm going to be as serious as i can be which is going to be about half the time <laughs> and i think that's yeah, great no, that, that that's like an expanse for me too so if I'm not being totally facetious, that means that I'm actually trying to be like 
straightforward uh, being that it's re- recorded, you know, because if it was uh, a conversation between you and me, there would have been a lot of fucks and, and dumb comments that only belong in memes on my part. I could tell you that. Um, but also, <laughs> um, the, the, the amount better that I feel when I'm smiling in comparison when I'm frowning, it, it, it's palpable and, and it is for everybody, I think. Um, at some point I decided I didn't really like cortisol and, and that I didn't think it felt good anymore. And I think I took it until I was like 30. I don't know, isn't it like the brain's uh, chemical for anger? So, uh, you know, when you get Superman, your face turns red and you can feel it in your chest. Maybe. It doesn't happen oh, to me very often. I'm a, I'm, stop I'm, I'm more it. on the Is like it happening right sad, now? <laughs> sad mopey. No, I'm more on like the sad mopey side, right? Like I, I'll get anxious and I'll get neurotic. Um, but, but I could probably count on, you know, one hand, the number of times that I remember seeing red and being very angry. I didn't have access to my anger. It wasn't safe in my oh. childhood to really express a lot of anger. So I kind of, yeah, I disown that stuff. I'm totally the opposite. So I, and I'm no doctor and I don't research shit. Um, I believe cortisol is the brain's response to anger um, in that it's the thing that gives you that feeling. It's the thing that people like me, it makes me see red. Um, I really don't have a problem with that anymore. And that really relates to how much I've meditated and how much I've realized um, that I'm the cause of this. And looking inside and realizing that it doesn't feel good, um, but but that took a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's a journey you just described, right? Like a like a lot. And and I asked you, you know, briefly summarized, right? And you're like, yeah, so so MS, and then my brother passed, and then you know, I parted ways with my longtime partner, and um, and that's that's like a tremendous amount to unpack. Right. And so I think, I guess we'll, we'll go to the end and say, you said through meditation, um, you're able to manage and see through anger and you've been, and you kind of had a deeper self-awareness. I mean, do you want to, do you want to talk about that a little bit and like what your, how you started well, meditating, what it was like when you started or what, you know, pick a, pick a card, any card you can, you can talk on any of these threads. Yeah, so as I uh, uh, briefly skipped over five and a half years of my life being sober, <laughs> um, um, at, at the, the principle or not principles, the steps of AA recommend that you meditate and pray every day. And, and now I thought that was super dumb because I'm fairly agnostic, if not borderline atheist on God. But um, <laughs> but it, it, at everything else that they had told me up to that point had worked. So I decided that I would go ahead and, and take that recommendation that I just sit there and shut up for a couple of minutes. And it, it, it has changed more for me than anything. Um, they're, they're like, mm. there is nothing else to me because getting back to, you know, how close to atheism I am is that, I mean, I think we're all here to take care of ourselves. You know what I mean? I mean, what the fuck else am I going to do? Um, and when I sit and meditate, I'm really looking at myself closely. Um, I'm listening to what's going on. I'm paying attention to the actions that I've made. I'm, I'm paying attention to things that I've said to the people that I talked to. And um, I'm planning out the next day. 
and, and all of that sort of thing can take place in a matter of a half an hour. You know what I mean? And uh, the amount of time that I save. Uh, so spending that 20 minutes in the morning or 20 minutes at night or both or whatever it is that you do um, opens up so much more time in the latter parts of the day that, that I don't spend sitting there thinking about what this person said. And if you know me very well, it's about the girl and, and what she thinks about me and why. Um, and so, so the amount of time that I don't spend doing that and that I can actually be productive and taking care of people that I care about and working, um, it's not even a fair trade. So what it actually did is really, I mean, Jacob, I met you when I was pretty pissed off at the world. Um, I think it took a little while for me to calm down. Um, and I think it happened either right before or right after I got diagnosed with MS because I just released my thought that I was going to control this thing. Mm. You were faced with because, like the biggest uncontrollable event of your life to date, would you, th would, would you say? Like, like, it, like a doubling down on the, on the, I think we've talked about this, about like the powerless and over, powerlessness over addiction or whatever, but like you said, you were faced with something that you really couldn't change. So I want to talk about that. Like a hundred percent couldn't do anything about it. And then Ryan died and then, I, and then uh, I was almost grateful that I had gone through the process with MS that I had. Um, and that, you know, I was more, and as sad as it might sound, I was more detached from it. And uh, knowing what I know about addiction and drug use, then uh, I, I was more accepting of where Ryan had been before and that I hadn't been paying attention. Um, mm. Not that I'm, I'm not really in the boat of thought that I could have uh, prevented the outcome, but I, I certainly could have tried harder. So um that is another thing you know that's something i have to let go of every every fucking morning and you know i i i'm not a professional anything really um i work in it sometimes but but <laughs> i do have some knowledge about you know, grief, right? And what happens when we lose something or someone that's very important to us. And there's all those stages they talk about. Um, do you feel like with MS, you went through a grieving process? So I'm super detached from that. I was very strange about it. Um, I still haven't researched it because honestly, the drug I'm on is so much better than what they used to have that they don't even have uh, valid research on, on what happens to someone like me. Now I do have a, a like a three times, uh, higher cancer rate than people not on the drug that I'm on, but it's still mm -hmm. only 2.8%. So it's like not a big deal. And up until this COVID-19 outbreak, I hadn't even looked it up. Um, because honestly, I just didn't want to know. Um, so I knew that I had this disease and that if it, if I wake up and something weird happens, I know where it's coming from probably. Um, but, but like, and <laughs> I don't want it to ruin my life. I, I don't want it to shut me in, you know? 
No. And, and, and I feel like, you know, to me, knowing you, I feel like the life changes, you made very significant life changes, um, after the passing of your brother, like more so at least from my like distant vantage point than when you were diagnosed with MS. For sure. Well, and I don't, and, and it probably was because I can't look at uh, my decision to leave the program of, of AA as, as if Ryan had stayed alive, because who knows what, what would have happened. Um, mm. But it, it wasn't a direct result of one over the other. So um, my brother passed away, and then three months, two months later, I spoke at a fairly large convention in front of about 100 people, and uh, I walked out of there. And I haven't been back to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous since. Um, and within about a month of that, then I, I was no longer sober. And I haven't been since. And I don't mean as though I'm not sober right now as I discuss this with you. I mean, I haven't been uh, AA sober since I left the program. Uh, and I really, truly have no intention to. Um so that was pretty yeah, big, I haven't heard you, you know? express any regrets over that decision. You know, I haven't, I've, I I've, and I, and I think that's a story that isn't widely, uh, <laughs> shared, right? I don't think that's a conversation that people have often. Well, see, I don't know. There's indoctrination in, in that program, just like there is in any, uh, like say Christianity. In which there, and I'm not saying anything personal against anyone. Um, the, the, the steps are like the most amazing thing to any person, no matter what their background can do for self-realization and, and to take care of themselves. Um, but the assumption that all of us humans with this uh, mental disorder are going to react the same way to input into our bodies is, uh, I. I, I don't believe it anymore. Um, so, so that's kind of where I was at when I laughed. Um, and, and there was people around me that I saw firsthand that have been there for decades, uh, th that mistreated other people so, so badly that like, it was just, and, and you can't, <laughs> what's that expression? You can't get mad at the whole group for that, the acting of one person. Don't get mad at the forest because one tree's ugly. That, there you go. Uh, but there's a lot of ugly there. And, and I really uh, didn't agree with it. So I could no longer uh, be a, a support system for somebody who wanted to be sober. Um, which was as important, you know, I had to call a couple guys and tell them, Hey man, I'm done um, with the program. I want you to stay there <laughs> uh, because it worked for me. You know, my life would not be what it is without AA. There is no doubt about that in my mind. So, you know, I'm, I don't think anybody knows besides you, what was going on in your head when you finished, you know, speaking to that group. Do you want to share any of that with us? Uh, so I like, just like, was it an immediate realization or was it something gradual? No, well, it had been, I'm sure it had been building. Right. Um, but as soon as I, 
I sat down, I looked around the room and told myself, it's exactly what happened when I, when I left the hotel room that I lived in before I got sober. Um, the exact same thing happened. And I looked around the room. I said, I don't want to be here and, and I'm not supposed to be here. Whatever that means inside my head, you know, it, it meant that I had to leave. And, and if I go back, it's going to be for good reason. <laughs> um, it, it, if you ever see me there again, it's going to be because shit went really wrong for me. And I was a hundred percent wrong about my perception of addiction. I don't wish that upon you. And I, and I know I that you're that. charting your own course. You know, I don't, uh, personally, I've, I've sort of stayed in that Harbor. And while I've adopted the attitude of taking what works and leaving the rest, um, I think what you raise is a really interesting point that could be abstracted away from you know, the conversation of 12-step recovery and anonymous programs. I also have no opinion on issues around that, right? I'm trying to indemnify myself while simultaneously, uh, you know, sharing a podcast with the world about it. But so, so in, in an effort to do that, um, I think you and I have talked about like in-group, out-group dynamics and how, you know, people who subscribe to a particular belief or belief system have a level of cognitive dis like dissonance, which is to say that they like ignore evidence to the contrary and maybe even a social distancing function where in order to maintain that group identity, they respond. And, and certainly we can look at documented cases outside of recovery in religious circles and things like that violently to, to expel, you know, the person who's having a different experience, right? Who's seeing something that they don't see or that they don't want to see. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I, that seems like a pretty obvious feature of the human condition, but I'm wondering whether, you know, could it you not have some be thoughts more obvious? Could it not be more obvious right now <laughs> when the president of the United States won't even admit to what's going on as thousands of people die in the city? What is that? An hour train ride from where he stays. And then they don't shut down Florida, the place where, he may have already been exposed to COVID. They don't even shut it down so that they can make some money on spring breakers. Uh, and guess what they have now? Oh, this is crazy. They have one of the biggest spikes in the country. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Um, so, so no, it could be more obvious that, that humans don't want to accept pain. Like, grow up, dude. Um, that's kind of how I feel about it. Sometimes it hurts. I don't know if you were a kid. I don't know if you rode a bike or a skateboard or whatever it was. Um, but I fell off a lot of shit. I jumped off a lot of stuff. I hurt myself a lot of times. I broke a couple of bones. I got a ton of stitches. Um, I have a, a fairly decent amount of tattoos and like <laughs> sometimes shit hurts. And typically if it's not hard, it's not worth doing. And that has been my experience in almost everything in my whole life. So no pain, no gain. I dude, I I'm a full subscriber to that. And, and going back to this, you know, in group out group, right. And, and the othering of, of opinions that, that we don't want to see or that we don't agree with. I wonder to what extent, 
you know, social distancing. I mean, I think it all just fits together beautifully. Um, when you zoom out far enough, right? How you look at these trends in our culture as we've got pushed into echo chambers via, you know, algorithmic filter bubbles, right? There's, there's a great book called the filter bubble that came out. I want to say almost 10 years ago, if not more, um, about how algorithmic systems in, in social media groups were, were presenting a sort of feedback loop of information to someone which would deprive them of seeing any other opinion, right? And how that was weaponized during the election to potentially, it depends on who you ask, right? Like alter the outcome or certainly sway the opinions of many people. Um, and then you look today at how this is impacting, you know, and, and we're speaking about the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, gripping, you know, the world right and here in, uh, April of 2020, um, how it's affecting everyone. And yet because of our various lenses and, and socioeconomic conditions and, where we are in the world, um, where we are in our countries, even where we are in our cities um, or towns, we're all experiencing it together in a very different way. And and I don't know if that's really a question so much as a rant uh, to share, you know, some of these thoughts. And And I guess what I wonder is can we see on some level how our preoccupation with safety Right. You talked about how you skinned your knee. Right. And you talked about these things, whether our preoccupation with safety has any logical limit and whether there's a moment at which, you know, like doing the helicopter parenting or relying on the government to do helicopter parenting might. in you know. Accelerate our, our collective downfall. Oh, yeah, but that is exactly the, the space that we're in as a country right now It's just what you said is. I mean, and I'm, I, I know you're a parent, dude. I, I don't think this is you. So what you just said was uh, I'm either a, a helicopter parent or I let the government take care of my kid. Um, there, the, the thing that the filter bubble that you discussed before has caused um, is not only separation in ideas, is that I have no idea what the middle thinks. I only think what my specified filter bubble things because it's the one that provides the news to me. So um, <laughs> without conversations with people that have differing point of views, then there, there's no potential that I learn anything. Um, and the, the longer this just craziness that's gone on the last, I don't know, two, two years, three years now, um, keeps going on, the farther separated that we get and the, the less that we can even talk to each other because everybody feels like they're polar opposite of the other fucking person in the conversation, which is impossible because we are all made up of the exact same parts. Um, all I am is a, what is it, culmination or oh, a word am I looking for? A, a totality of my thoughts. Nothing else fucking matters. Um, the way I speak to you matters. The way I look at you matters. The way that, uh, if you know anything about reading facial expressions, the way I look at you matters. Um, beyond that, <laughs> you know, we're all just trying to not die. 
And, and ever since we didn't have to search for food and water. So within the last, what, 200 years, 300 years, probably. Um, we've really become selfish. I am. I'm not trying to point fingers. Like I know I am. Um, because I have all this time to fill and I don't have to survive anymore. So hopefully this COVID-19 virus kind of kicks people in the gear and realizes like, Hey, just because there's a uh, fries up the street, that doesn't mean that I, that I'm going to stay alive if, if shit goes bad. So get ready, you know, take care of yourself, take care of the people you love. So you, you made, you know, a number of really interesting points there. One was your sort of observing that we've lost the voice from the middle. And, you know, I'm really glad you said that because that for me is one of the drives behind um, developing a public image and creating this podcast is that I feel in the absence of that middle ground, we'll think that all that exists are the shrieking extremes because those people feel compelled to stand on a soapbox and spout in block capital letters, whatever it is that they believe in. And yet I find in my day-to-day travels and my relationships, and not because I'm a person who lives in the middle, um, that one, you know, people are nuanced and you will find in the most left-leaning person many aspects of right-wing ideology and you will find some really liberal thoughts, right, in the minds of the deepest conservative. Um, And that most people, like you very astutely observed, have so much in common, right? Um, And I think that's, that's that's a message I really want to get out there is that if you stop and you have a conversation beside the all black points where you disagree with someone, right, on the 10 or 15%, you may find a deeper common ground in our desire for shelter and security, um, in, in looking for a safe place to raise our children in an environment that's free of pollution. Now, how we get there is, is the subject of endless debate and, and sometimes bloody wars, but our underlying desires are, are much more similar than one would think when you, when you can only perceive the edges of, you know, everybody's filter bubble. And then you go, what are those people thinking? Well, they're thinking the same thing, right? Um, and, and everybody's on Pornhub, I guess, right? Except for some of our <laughs> friends who've chosen to take the, take the higher ground. Um, <laughs> I only looked at it once this week. Yeah, I've I've been I've been on a I've been on a Pornhub free existence for for a little while now, and I and I have to say that being more in tune with my own energy and recognizing some of it as as you know like a shortcut to real self care um, has been eye opening. Uh, the second and, point, and, I, that, and again, I'm not, I'm ahead. not right. <laughs> Here we go. Brief, brief right. side note. <laughs> we have to uh, address that. This is exactly what I'm talking about in that way too much Pornhub. Not okay. No Pornhub. I don't know. Pornhub exists and I have a dick. So like, can we somewhere be in the middle? 
Like, can I please watch Pornhub once in a while? Maybe. I don't know. I would like to watch it with my. But partner if you look right, once in a while. But if you look I'm at the, insane. if you look at the headlines, it's either right like mandatory Pornhub of right, every single right. shape That's and size problem. for everyone, or you um, know, we must absolutely um, suppress and control all sexuality to the confines of a heterosexual, you know, no, committed no. monogamous. Not unless that's the relationship you want. That's it. If you don't well, want that exact relationship, then no, you absolutely should never be looking for one. Fuck what the Bible says. Um, and so I'm sure all your millions of Christian viewers, you're going to be very upset with me, but like, it doesn't matter <laughs> who you have. I don't sex know. I don't know if them. they will. And we could be grateful for still having a free country. And, and I would save the, you know, criticism of, of, or, or, or observed hypocrisy of, 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 you know, zealots from one side or the other for another day, or maybe for like another Obser 10 minutes. But I observed hypocrisy. That's amazing. That is the best uh, way to describe that I've ever heard. Congrats. Uh, I have already forgotten it. So it's a no, good thing we're recording no, it. You're totally right. I mean, I don't disagree at all. Um, but yeah. But you made a second point. But you made a second point too. You were like filter bubble, and then and then the second point you made, and I'm I'm drawing a blank already, but it was really relevant, right? And you said, "Oh, I realized that like all that all that I am is my thoughts." Right. And that's, and that's all that matters. And that's a pretty profound insight, right? Like there's definitely well, there, some monks out there who would. Jacob, is there, there's nothing else. There isn't anything else. There's nothing else. It's just, that was so clear to me at some point. Um, there is what you think about me. I mean, for sure. I care what you think about And I probably always will. Um, but the things I think about <laughs> are all that matter. Because I'm the only one here. I'm the only person inside my brain. Now, I don't have children. So I don't know what it's like to, to have to be a provider for somebody else. Uh, my dog's pretty simple as long as I let her go outside. And, um, but, <laughs> but but there is nobody driving my decision other than me um and and there never was so that's a really freeing thought to to get to the point where you're like oh well if i'm angry or sad or depressed or anxious about something that's just my thought about this thing so let's just not think about that thing anymore. And we can probably get away from the sadness, depression, or anxiety, or whatever uh, feeling I've now related to the thought. Or whatever feeling has been caused by the thought that I had. I would, I'll, I'll, take, a, I'll take a jab, right? And, and ask whether our thoughts are the totality or then the actions that we take as a consequence have some impact, right? And so it doesn't just matter what I think about you or what I think about myself. It's what I do 
in response to those thoughts. And one of the greatest dangers of the filter bubble, right, is that you could have people with just, you know, on the, on the working with a, with a completely diametrical data set, right? Like, like one says it's white and the other says it's black and they're talking about the same thing and, and they're both acting in what they believe to be the common good. And yet, you know, the outcome could just be disastrous. And I wonder, it's, it's my hope that we collectively as a species move from, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks or what I do matters. I would love to see us move to, to a notion of collective responsibility, which, which I grant you, of course, moves, it occurs at the individual level, but that's what we need, right? It's like, it's it's so you're right like i, I pray mean, that our that we evolve enough to think of other people yeah no Jacob, instead of just ourselves because right. if we don't but, we're screwed <laughs> evolution has created uh, a bunch of monies monkeys who run around and fuck each other uh don't climb from trees anymore and no longer have to fight to survive that that's where we're Some at right us. now i think that nah, i think have you met anybody that's not well, no, but, but just because okay. I haven't, okay. means because okay. I live in the, so hold on, hold on, I want to, no, no, <laughs> no, no, but no like it, it, it does matter. It does matter. Like, I mean, what, I'm which saying, part? I was going to people... agree with, oh, okay. I was going to agree with <laughs> well, you that actions are more important. <laughs> they're, they're actually more important, you know, like, how do I proceed after this? But my actions are all based off of what I've come to when I'm thinking. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, and totally. the longer I meditate, the longer I meditate, the more space I have between the thought and the action. Mm. Message. Yeah. Oh, I heard that at a meeting one time. <laughs> I probably said it like a hundred times. Well, but so so where where does that and 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 you also said another thing. Oh man. Oh, that's right. So you were talking about your brother. Well, you weren't talking about your brother, but you said like, I had this profound shift when I realized that it didn't matter and it was all just thought. That's what I wanted to come back to. Cause I remember when you shared that with me and, and it had to do with like your reflection on his passing. Right. And it made you question, um, I think some of your spiritual principles up until that point, and, and, and you had like a, like the opposite of the, uh, an epiphany where you realized that you were in the comforting, guiding, you know, hands of some creative intelligence. You had like the exact opposite experience. And I don't think that that is shared often, right? And if you're comfortable talking about it um, again, because I think that, these things are important for folks who are struggling with stuff or for people who may listen to this, who, you know, have religious convictions galore, but have never had a day like that. Right. Um, just to open the, 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 the door for that kind of discussion. Right. Because very often it's, it's, I think it's one-sided. Right. But also, I mean, you can look at that from both sides of the coin. So the epiphany could okay. be that like, that Ryan had been taken by God, which 
I absolutely do not believe that. Um, Ryan made a terrible choice and he did a uh, too much fentanyl and it, it didn't work out well for him. So the epiphany of uh, knowing that he's either with this creator or knowing that there isn't one um, almost is the same for me. Because either way, um, if I really look at it, I'm releasing my thought of control over the situation in that uh, A, mm. if I thought that Ryan had moved on to Spirit World, um, that then then okay, then I can let go of him. If I'm in the spot of there is no spirit world, uh, Ryan was a culmination of his thoughts in his brain. Um, and until his heartbeat, he had those thoughts that told him he was alive. But once his heart stopped beating, he was no longer fucking alive. And now he's gone. Um, actually, if you know me well enough, you've probably seen him because we had him turned into rocks. If that's not a perfect explanation uh, of the passing of someone that they compress you into rocks as though you were a diamond, um, <laughs> I don't know what else is. Uh, to so, express the fact that he's gone and has moved on to the next place. Um, again, my thoughts would be the only one who controlled whether I, I needed to believe that was a place or whether he was gone. Um, because it doesn't matter to the world. Uh, while Ryan was a good dude and he would have made a better world because he was just a good dude uh, and he was super funny, um, now that he's gone, the world is still going. Um, it did not stop for one second for him, which pushes the the thought to me that, that like he's probably just gone and, and that's okay too. Um, so if you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, I, I'm very interested in speaking about it because, uh, I, again, I'm going to use that term agnostic. I don't know either way, um, but I'm really okay with not knowing. I know what I think about it, and, and I think he's gone. Um, but, but I know also that if I'm wrong, it doesn't really matter um, because he's gone that way too. You, you, and your family had him um, cremated and compressed into like pebbles. Oh yeah, like biodegradable pebbles. They're great. And then, and then, what did you do? I've taken them so far. My mom took them to Europe. I took them to South America and uh, Utah and Arizona and. My dad took him to the top of Humphreys Peak in Flagstaff, and I bought a van. <laughs> I bought a I bought a sleeper van so I can go drive him around and drop him off in fire pits. Um, that's you want to tell the world about your your dumb van, as you call it. Oh my goodness! Because this is a whole so other side. You know, we can <laughs> we can go here and talk about. Right. Um, so van dwelling culture because <laughs> I'm not a van dweller though. I just have one. So this is the coolest thing. People like save their whole lives for these things and then quit their lives and like go drive around. I'm going to drive around on the weekends in one of these super dope vans. And then I'm going to go sleep in places where I want to throw my brother's remains. And then I'm going to like make dinner and uh, drive home. 
and I'm going to go back to my job because as we discussed before, I have MS and those drugs that I had mentioned earlier in the podcast, they're really, really expensive, like hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And, uh, <laughs> and so like, I'll always be back on Monday to go to work to make sure that I can uh, stay out of a wheelchair because that seems like something I don't want to deal with. <laughs> so if you were to tell, I have, I have two final questions for you. Um, is there anything you would tell your younger self and you could pick an age, but, um, but I would say probably your, your, you know, adolescent self, maybe that they would have maybe listened to. We'll start there. What, what advice would you give to your younger self and would they have heeded it or not? <laughs> so let's think oh, about no, advice they might no. have heeded. Well, I'll answer the second question first. No, no, I would not have heeded it. I would have done the opposite. Um, but if I could go back to a young, young Alex, I would say, dude, uh, you should be closer friends with your brother while you're young. Um, because me and him weren't mm. super close when we were young. I mean, he was my brother. So like we were mandatory to be close. Um, but up until after I got into high school, me and him weren't really close friends. Um, so that's what I would tell him. I'd be like, dude, you, you need to to be nicer to him to stop whatever it is that you're doing to cause strife uh, and you need to get close to him now because he's going to leave and uh hurry up <laughs> that would be the most important thing and then final question if you had a message for the people of the world although we're currently trending at a you know less than 100 listeners uh what what would you want to say to people in this time um, that isn't already being echoed across a million channels? So I guess, you know, is there anything that you wish for um, people to look at or think about or consider? And, and this, you, you can, this could be a long answer. This is as short as long as you like. Well, uh, this might come with some follow-up questions, but I would say stop being so fucking angry. Um, Stop. Mm. And this can be expanded. Really, where I see go. issues, let's go. With <laughs> where I see issues with humans, man, is blaming other fucking people for their problems. Like everybody's got an excuse. Everybody's got a reason. Everybody's got another person that did them wrong or did some harm to them previously that they're still holding on to. So here's my serious recommendation. Um, and I don't have a big book next to me. Um, I don't know if I can do them from memory. I would say, uh, download the big book, do the 12 steps and, and replace the word alcoholism with being a dick or being angry or it's her fault <laughs> or whatever my excuse is at the time that I'm blaming the other person for the problem that I have. Um, and at, at that point, hopefully you'll have a pen and paper out because this is real helpful. If you write down exactly whose fault you think it is, what they did to you and how you reacted to it, and then you close that little book and you open it up like a day, I don't know, three days, 
Maybe if you're crazy as shit, you want to wait five days and you go ahead and open that thing back up once you've calmed down and you read it again. Guess who's angry? The person that wrote it. Guess who knows why? Me, because I did the same thing. So I'm not calling anybody black because I'm a kettle um, and, and that's okay and that it took me a lot of writing to get to that point. But America needs to wake the fuck up and realize that, like, <laughs> this is our fault. You want to blame the president? You elected him. You want to blame someone else? So, when likely you had something to do with them getting into a position where they could influence your life. Um, so, really, it's just uh, all about accepting responsibility. Uh, I don't even know. Once I've accepted responsibility for most things, I realize I'm not really angry. Uh, that, that if I've accepted that it's, that, that I'm the, I'm one of the main wheels in the cog that, and I don't like the outcome, then I need to change my actions so that the outcome is different. Um, continuous improvement, right? Called Tony Robbins. (laughs) (laughs) Confront your anger, take accountability or potentially even radical responsibility. There only is responsibility with one person in the end. That's what I've, that's what I've, in the beginning and perhaps in the end. Well, mm. is that similar to the, to the statement to thine own self be true? Perhaps. Absolutely. So, and I think that's the whole issue with, with being human is that I start at the beginning and I blame other people and then I'm the one who is angry or disappointed or sad or didn't get what I want, right? I'm only mad when I don't get what I want. Every day. If I get what I want, I'm super happy. Who gives a shit? Um, but like, if I don't, we might have an issue. And then I might get sad about not getting what I want. And so when I actually look at that and realize that I'm the one who put expectations on this thing. Um, I'm the only one that's responsible for how I feel at the outcome. Um, And and I just hope we all take a look inside, especially being that we're all quarantined right now. So you got plenty of fucking time. Alex, thank you so much for joining me and to all of our listeners. Um, is there anywhere that they can find you if they want to continue the conversation or have questions or want to follow up? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think Instagram's the best way. It's just at it's underscore Cordy, K O R T E. Um, that's the easiest way. And no, I am not a published author, uh, which you probably tell about my speech pattern and, and my lack of vocabulary throughout the podcast, but. Um, I would love to hear from you because I'm always open to talk. Don't sell yourself short, Alex. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, it's been a pleasure, brother. Until next time. Always, always.